Welcome to Soundstage Insider, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of the film and television industry. We're bringing you the visionary directors and producers, the talented cinematographers, editors, sound designers, and more who really make the magic happen. So let's go beyond the red carpet and discover a fascinating world of behind-the-scenes talent. Hello there, welcome to Soundstage Insider, and today we have an extra special episode because I'm interviewing someone who's probably got the most comprehensive resume of work I've ever interviewed for sure. She's been working in the industry since the late 70s and has got an incredible resume of work. And I'm talking projects such as Four Weddings and a Funeral, multiple James Bond movies, Harry Potter, multiple Mike Lee films, Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy, both Paddington movies, both Wonder Woman movies, and now Paul King's Wonka. As you can hear, she is an extraordinarily talented and experienced costume designer, which is what we're talking about today. And I can't wait for you to hear this interview. It's a lot of fun. We had a great time recording this. So many little pearls of wisdom in this episode. Uh, I wouldn't even want to highlight any of them because they're all magical. So um, here it is. Check out this episode. Uh, if you're listening to this close to time of release, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And yeah, this is a good one, folks. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's my interview with Lindy Hemming. I am thrilled to speak to you today. I really enjoyed Wonka, and I can't wait to talk to you about that. But before we get there, I was looking at your IMDb page, your extensive IMDb page, and I think you have probably one of the most comprehensive IMDb pages of anyone I've ever interviewed. It was incredibly impressive. I haven't seen that. Mm, oh, you I should like check it out. That. <laughs> yeah, check it out. Yeah, I'll send you the link. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. It's really, I mean, for listeners... Some of the projects include Four Weddings and a Funeral, many James Bond movies, Harry Potter, the Christopher Nolan Batman trilogy, both Paddingtons, both Wonder Womans, Wonka, many, many <laughs> others. So yeah, you've been busy. And notable shout out to the comic strip Presents, which is one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, is that on there? Yeah, it's wow. on there, yeah. But there's no Mike Lee work on there then, is Oh, there, there is. is there? There's everything, oh, but yeah. I was just picking out yeah. the ones that no, people no, might No, no, thank be. you. So... Before we get to Wonka, and I, maybe we'll touch on some of those projects that I mentioned a second ago, mm -hmm. what was it that first drew you to costume design right at the beginning of your journey? Oof, uh, it's, it's too, uh, too long a story, really. But um, I suppose an overriding interest and nosiness in, in, in people, really, and being brought up in a bit of a public way. My parents running a shop at one point, and also selling things in markets, you know, in Wales in the, in, well, in the early 50s. And just um, looking at people, and uh, I don't know why people, one person would have a fascination in what people look like or not, but I did have a fascination, you know, in it. <laughs> that, yeah. That's sort of what happened, yeah. That's funny. My parents had a shop. They had a delicatessen, and I think probably a similar thing of interest in people because there's a constant flow of new characters coming in. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And in a village shop, which is what we eventually were uh, running or were in, we all took, all of us children, there were five of us, and we all took turns to serve in the shop. Yeah. And I was the eldest, so I had to take more turns. And you just become completely privy to everyone's information because. Yeah. 
and and whether they're depressed or whether they're happy or whether they've won money on the horses or anything, everything, it just all comes right in front of you, you know. So that's what it develops your mode of operation, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Well, the most incredible stories happen in small towns. When I, I was talking to my wife, who's American, and I would tell her, I start the ball rolling and things, oh, and then this happened, and then this happened. And it's like, you know, every walk of life was covered. Every Mm-mm. major life Mm-mm. event happened. You know, yeah, but that's right, them. I think. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Early on in your career, you were mainly working in TV, right? That was, that was your sort of early foray into this world. My career starts in the theatre, and okay. it starts in Fringe Theatre in London, which I was really, really fortunate to be able to get into. And I had left RADA, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, which is another long story how I got there. But And um, I went and worked in the Fringe Theatre as a costume maker, costume washer, ironer, stitcher, and costume designer, because there wasn't anybody else doing it. And so I started to get my real training, you know, there. And I went and worked in the National Theatre as a designer and the Royal Shakespeare Company as a designer and in the Broadway as well, actually, and the West Mm. End. So I had at least, I don't know how many years, but a lot of years of doing that before I actually started doing films. And the reason I was able to start doing films is because during my time in the National Theatre and the other theatres, I worked with a lot of directors who were marvellous. And Mike Lee was one of them, and Richard Eyre, Sir Richard Eyre, and David Hare, and all, you know, Michael Rudman, all fabulous, proper directors. And yeah. some of them went on to make films and they took me with them. And so that's how I started doing films. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So the work that you did in the theatre then and all that experience that you gained there, yeah. could you directly transport that to film? Is it the same? As obviously, there's, there's differences, but what changed when you moved to film? I think I did go and do a couple of television things. I was lucky because someone else's misfortune was that they got ill. And I went in and helped to do a few television series and everything. So I got a little bit of experience of how you work with film and how complicated working on a film or television is in terms of the non-sequential nature of how you shoot things. And I think that's one of the biggest differences. When you do a a production for the stage, you start at the beginning with the story and you obviously you go right through to the end. No one's ever going to change the order of the play. But on... When you start working on films, there's two things. One is that, that what I've just said, and the other is that you're, you have to learn how the camera examines things and how things are looked at closely, more closely, you know, larger, closer, mm. and how they're also looked at in silhouette often, you know, in the, dis- in the distance, which is more like the stage, of course. So you've got to take into account all of that when you're choosing fabrics and colours and textures and for me i have to say i loved my work in the theater a lot and i I wish that i still did it really but i must say that i love the fact that in film you can really examine patterns and textures and you know the the way a fabric behaves in close detail as well so there's there's those are the sort of differences yeah right yeah fascinating and did that take a step up further when 
everything went super HD and 4K, 8K was... was <laughs> yeah, but that... for me, that's happened a long way. That's happened very recently, comparatively, I suppose, didn't it? Yeah. It did, but at the same time, if you work with the right directors and the right cinematographers and the right production designers, it doesn't actually... It shouldn't actually be a bad thing. It should be that you are working knowing how... You need to treat the characters and how you need to dress them and what colors and etc that you use because you should know you should all be aware of how it's going to be i mean i think the first time that was ever a preoccupation properly a preoccupation for me was when i started to work with chris nolan and relatively that's you know quite recently for really yeah yeah so what would you say then are the qualities that make a good costume designer obviously a, a artistic eye and skills like that but are there any other particular qualities that you would say make well there are designer? so many different kinds of costume designers anyway mm. apart from anything else so i think you can get in a trap if you start to do that but i think that the general things that they need to have is they have to have an eye for looking at the human beings and an interest in human beings because costume design isn't like you know pure art drawing it or painting. Costume design is about trying to interpret the nuances of people's characters through and into their clothes. And so if you're only interested in a, a designing a garment, which would be more like fashion or something, you're not doing costume design because costume design is about what people wear in different circumstances and how they present themselves you need to have a sort of psychological look at the characters as well as just liking clothes, I think. You need yeah. to think about what people do in their clothes or with their clothes or what are they saying or, you know, what are they trying to tell you when, when you approach someone? What are you getting the, from the visuals before they even get near to you, you know? Yeah. And what about the sort of soft skills, like sort of interpersonal skills and working in a team and all that kind of stuff? That's pretty important too, I've, I've heard many yeah. times working on a film set. Absolutely, because it's only a collaborative experience anyway, all of film really. And so if you don't collaborate and you don't know how to, well, how to basically how to get your own way or how to get the way that the director wants or how to make the actor feel like the character, if you can't do all those things, you can be as marvelous and as you know as loving and have knowledgeable but if you can't get it done so that's what you mean it's it's your it's your ability to to be a designer and a designer makes things but they draws things or imagines things but they also have to have them made so behind you has to be your team which is often 100 people or something, by the time you've thought of all the people who dress the actors, the people who sew, the tailors, the painters, the, the fabric dyers, the, uh, it's, it's endless, hat makers. <laughs> so yeah. you have to be able to, to deal with all those people, but also to tell them what you want. If you can't tell them what you want, they can't fly themselves, you know? So speaking of hats, are you wearing <laughs> multiple different hats in your role then from an artistic perspective and a people management perspective? Yes. I think you are, well, I think you are wearing or, or you are um, juggling uh, or playing cards with multiple cards, yes. But I think that that comes in the beginning of the project, really, with how you choose your team and mm. knowing what your film is, the kind of film you're going to make, you hope, 
and what it's meant to look like, apropos of all of the other collaborators on the on the project, you should be choosing the right people for for the right thing. I mean, that's obvious, I suppose. Mm. But um, you also have to sometimes be very not so precious, you know, not so withholding of what you want, because otherwise you. You need people who handle the money for you. You need people who go out buying fabrics, who you have to imbue with the idea of what you want them to bring. You've got to have those skills. Yes, they are the, they are the most necessary skills other than being able to imagine what costume you want <laughs> and, yeah. and persuade the actor to wear it or, you know. <laughs> so do you have a regular sort of pool of talent that you'd like to work with? And then you sort of, like you said, you cherry pick based on the production, who's the most appropriate for whatever role it is they're fulfilling? Or are you starting afresh? Well, every <laughs> everyone thinks they do that. But actually, the way, way the work is on films, you couldn't expect someone to wait because a costume designer probably starts on a film, a big film, smaller films, not so much, but on a big film between 20 and something weeks before production, you know, you mm. usually start, I often start working with the director before there is a film, you know, before there is something happening. And so you ha you have to pick from people you know, and often you have to pick by recommendation or what looking at people's work that they've done before. And the other part of it, which is really, really important, is you're trying to build a team of people that enjoy working together. So right. you add that into the mix as well, because it's not a pleasure if no one likes what they're doing or, you know, isn't easy to get on with or able to be got on with. But sometimes their talent outweighs that and you employ them, even, even if they're not going to be the closest person to you that you've ever met. But, you know, it's, it's a mixture. It's a mixture. Yeah. Yeah. And well, without naming any names, have you no. <laughs> had any? Uh, <laughs> have you had any situations where you've had to like? I know fire this uh, this question. <laughs> <laughs> I know this question, and I, I'm not answering it. Okay. Of course, everyone has. Of course, yeah. of course. Um, but you, your job then, as in a man management way, if it's a director or if it's a a cutter or whatever, you, your way is to, uh, to to find out a way of either getting on with them or talking to them and seeing what it is that is the problem. That is your job. I mean, mm. your job isn't just to sort of high-handedly dismiss someone or to tell a director you can't work with them and walk away. You must try, try very hard to keep going and see if it's insoluble. If something's insoluble, it's insoluble. But mostly mm. things aren't. It's just mostly an attitudinal thing somewhere along the line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like to ask that question because this is podcast. How do you want to ask that question? <laughs> well, well, this is a podcast for people who are interested in working in film and TV, and it's nice yeah, to yeah, hear all the highlights, but it's also nice to hear the reality, you know. Yeah, that, well, the reality is, the, is like yeah. every... Listen, like every job on earth or every job you may be lucky enough to be offered, it may seem that everything's very, very easy. But in film especially, there's a huge amount of pressure on mm. everyone from producers, directors, designers, uh, actors. And every day is a bit of a boiling, a boiling pot of pressure. So you have to be able to negotiate that and you have to be able to take account of the fact that sometimes people behave really badly, including me, perhaps, and that you, you have to somehow um, get over it. Yeah. Or in the end, you get sacked or you walk away, you know, but every job's like that. 
really, in reality, isn't it? Otherwise, it's the dullest job on earth, I would think. Right. <laughs> if there's no pressure and no tension and no anything. But you aim for the least tension because artistically you do your best work if you're being encouraged to think and do and, you know, have ideas. And that always happens best when you're all um, getting on with each other, I think. Absolutely. Um, so you mentioned there that a lot of your work is done prior to filming. Of course, it has to be mm. um, designing and then constructing um, all the costumes and things. Yeah. So what is your role then? What is your responsibility throughout filming? Obviously, you're present and you're managing people. And what, what are you doing day to day on set? On a film, as any costume designer or design, production designer will tell you, nearly everyone, we are all still doing it all the way through. Mm. Because anyway, scenes are shot and um, prepared for out of sequence, as you know. So once you've read the script and once you've started designing and once you've arrived at the point of production, you will have, if you're lucky and hopefully all goes well, you will have all the costumes prepared for the first few weeks, you know, maybe months. Mm. Also, I'm filming. But then once the people step on set, your job is that you go to see them in their new costumes every day, every time there's a new costume, so that there, if there's any problems for them, the actor, or for the director, or for the wardrobe person who's looking after the actor, then you're there to try and solve them. If there, there shouldn't be, but there sometimes are. And then you go back to your office or your workroom or wherever it is, and you get on with the next, the weeks that are going to come after you've gone through the first prepared block. And I don't think there are many films made, except ones who perhaps have four characters and they take place on one day, that that isn't the process. So you've got to have the ability to hold the future in your head, and you've got to be able to have worked out the whole thing usually in advance, because otherwise you'll find that you're not able to keep your mind on the colour balance between, you know, scene to scene or place to place and who's wearing what and not how not to end up with two people in a yellow suit next to each other. Or, do you know what I mean? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a big juggle that goes on all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it was fascinating. I mean, for someone who doesn't know this world intimately, particularly the costume world, what are other special considerations that you have when creating costumes to be used on set? So, for example, things like these days with green screen and, and noise, yeah. uh, you know, rustling and things like that and durability, mm. all that kind of stuff. Those presumably are a big part of your considerations too. It's not just, oh, this will look pretty, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> no, the thing is... Um, well, that's a huge question. But the things you've mentioned already, which is obvious things like in superhero films of green screens and blue screens are really important. And you should be, that brings me right back to the beginning again, when you're preparing, when you're pre-filming and when you're designing the costumes, you should be liaising with the production designer and the special effects people and the stunt people. And so you should be developing, not just you on your own, but your whole team of uh, manufacturing, manufacturing team 
should be aware of what's going to happen to a costume and what it's going to be standing next to or against. And you'll find that all the different other departments will give you their take on the information. So you're always building up a picture of what's going to happen to a costume or where it's going to be. And of course, the obvious thing is, you know, you obviously have to avoid green and you have to avoid blue when you're doing those scenes. But the thing is, you don't have to avoid every green or every blue there are there are mm. colors which they'll be able to tell you will work against the blue screen or will work against the green screen and so you also as well as doing that have to liaise with the cinematographer because if you want to use a color or a texture you need to know what stock of film they're going to be filming on and oh. they will then tell you what the effect of that stock so there's often Forget the blue screen, but there's often blues and there's often reds, which actually look horrible, you know, might look horrible with a certain kind of film stock. And it's not your job to learn all of that, but it is your job to make sure that you talk to the people who do know. So those things, those are the kind of things. And then that takes you on on films which have a lot of action in them. That takes you into the area of what's going to happen to this person when they're wearing this costume and therefore how many of this costume and how they should be made. <laughs> so you might may have to make, you know, for Bond, for instance, everyone knows this, I'm sure, nowadays because we've all told it so extensively, but in a sequence where Bond gets up in the morning and puts on his suit and goes to see M and then has a car crash, the car bursts into flames or the car goes over the edge in flames and lands in a lake. That is a multiplication each time of one suit mm. because it would be a different stunt person doing all the different stunts for a start. So no one can wear the same clothes as the principal actor. They have to look identical identical down to the button and the hair, <laughs> button and, you know, um, texture. But they can't be the same clothes. So that's one sort of thing that you really have to know about. And the other is that if someone's going to be in a fire and go underwater, the fire requires that they're wearing fire retardant clothes underneath the suit and that the suit be fire retarded. And then the, also, if they're going to go into the water, they will be wearing a wetsuit or some kind of wetsuit underneath. <laughs> and they will be a, an underwater stuntman, not a... So you see all those things, they just multiply and multiply. So your, your one suit, I'm just trying to use one suit as, as yeah. an example, but your one suit becomes 20 suits, possibly. I mean, I've done much more than 20. I've done 50 jackets for one jacket. Wow. But I, so I suppose, and then that, you multiply that across all of the actors who do anything that <sighs> remotely, so, you know, it becomes enormous and the wardrobe's work becomes enormous and it costs a lot of money. And you can imagine one suit, which probably was, let's say it was a thousand pound suit, yeah. uh, which is little at the moment. A bond suit costs more than that anyway. But you multi then you end up multiplying that by, you know, let's say 20 suits. And so you've already got one costume which appears on screen, which is now costing at least £20,000. And nobody can understand why, you know. <laughs> but it's because it's not one suit. So 
that's a ramble. But. Yeah, no, it's not. It's fascinating because you know this is your day to day life, of course. But for mm. those outside of it, it's it's never would have considered most of that. You know, it's it's really interesting. How do you keep track of all that stuff then? Well, because it's not just you doing it, is it? Yeah. I mean, you've got a person who's called a costume supervisor, who and a costume supervisor is the person who tracks all of the budget. Mm. while you're working so you work closely with them so they're always keeping an eye on what and they will have worked with you in making the budget in the first place so they'll have to be somebody experienced in what i'm talking about and then whoever's buying the fabric they have to know all that information because you can't buy enough fabric for one suit when it's a suit that's got to be 20 or 25 of yeah. So you're talking about sort of industrial or a shop level of construction. 25 suits is what someone would order for Harrods do you know what I mean? right. of, one, of one size and one style. So you're talking about buying fabric in industrial amounts, kind of. So all of that means that you couldn't do that. You couldn't be handling all that on your own. So your team is a team not only of design people, who work with you, assistants, but it's also a team of people who know where to buy, you know, hundreds of yards of fabric, where to, how much it's going to cost, who to order it from, whether you can actually use a certain piece of fabric because it might be that it, there is only 50 meters of it in the world. Mm. So you mustn't start with that. You have to know at the beginning that you can get you know, hundreds, a hundred meters of, of a man's suiting fabric before you can even set off using that. Because if you filmed on it one day and then you couldn't make enough of them, you'd be in real trouble. Yeah. So it's an endless subject. You know what I mean? It's not taught at all, in fact, all this. No, no, in, I've never in, heard in school when, <laughs> no, well, you, you can ring me anytime. I, I'm okay. what I go on about. But <laughs> Love it. In college, when they when they, they attempt to teach costume design, they aren't actually teaching costume design. They're usually just teaching how to read a book or a script and draw what you think the people are wearing. But the real job is once you've decided what you think people are wearing and everyone has agreed on it from the studio down to you, you know, your level, passing through directors, producers, actors, you know, everybody, then your job is the next thing, which is having with your team to work out how you can manufacture. And on all superhero films and on all action movies, it's massive. It's a mm. massive part of the job. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Well, speaking of massive productions, <laughs> <laughs> let's shift it to Walker yeah. now. <laughs> oh. I absolutely loved the production, really enjoyed it. It was a perfect Christmas movie. Yeah. Obviously, you've worked with Paul King before on the two Paddington movies. Yeah. I love those yeah. two. They were great. Good. Um, particularly Paddington nice 2. Person. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> presumably, that was an obvious yes when he approached you about this, I assume. <laughs> Oh, it was not a yes. I was hanging. I had a rope round his neck, and I was really? going to kill him if he didn't let me do it. <laughs> no, of course it was a yes, yes, yes. And it would be a yes for anything he asked me to do, more or less, because he's a wonderful person to work with in all of the ways that I've been talking about. You know, he's he's a he's an artist, and uh, he's also emotionally really, and and you know, he's really good. He understands he understands people and what makes people move, you know, what makes people like things and what, 
he's a teacher as well. You know, he wants to teach children to, he wants to get them interested in reading, you know, or get them interested in being good to other people. And so that's a great person to work with. Yeah. Well, that's, that leads on to my next question, which is you've worked with some incredible directors and producers over the years. And, you know, particularly as it relates to Paul, what is it then that are the qualities of a great director that bring the best out of you or other people on set, would you say? Well, I'd say from the range of directors I've worked with that they all approach things differently. Some are more similar than others, but I'd say that there are great directors technology-wise who know mm. how to make a great film, and then there are great directors who can write and make a really moving and humane film. And I don't think you can really compare one to the other. Mm. So you move through you move through all these different people. And, you know, obviously some you know, I've worked with a director called Peter Chelsom in the past. Now I would say he was very similar visually. He he likes stuff very much the same sort of stuff that Paul likes. Mm. But then I would say and I would say emotionally he produces a similar feeling. But then you work with Chris Nolan, who produces, you know, mega films, but he's not the same kind of person as they are. And not, not, you know, if they do the films that suit them, these people, then I think they, you know, they make great films, all in different ways. So I suppose I don't, there isn't really a straight answer for that, because mm. you, you expect to work with all different kinds of people. But in the end, when you're 75, like I am, you, you've actually worked out that it's quite a lot of fun to work with people like Peter Chelsea and Paul King, and I could name others, because you can play more. You know, you get more playing. You can get more fun with your designs, I suppose. I mean, it's just choice, personal choice, really. Yeah. And so have you, you know, I didn't want to, I'm not going to bring up your age, you brought it up, but... No, I don't care how anyone knows. <laughs> I'm not the oldest costume designer yet. No. <laughs> but have your motivations changed then in terms of the projects that you choose to work on now you've, you're in the more mature end of your career? No, I think, um, actually, I never wanted to do superhero films. I never even thought about superhero films. But I was thrilled to, to be doing Batman. And I did have a lot of experience of action films from doing lots of Bonds. Mm. So I suppose... I enjoy that, but I think you need to be very full of energy and you need to be very strong to do those sort of films. I think it's, it's um, of course, some older costume designers are very strong and energetic, but not so many that I've met. Right. Um, and so I suppose it's a younger person's game. Yes, that. But actually, I feel like I've gone around in a circle because hmm. I love quirky characters. I love character. I love actors. I love working with actors. They're magical, you know, at their best, they are just magical and clever. And I think what's happened is I started off working with people like Mike Lee yeah. and oh, lots of other directors at that time who, who really were, you know, in that world. And then I went away to earn my living and I went and I did Bond, which was also quite magical, but a very different kind of world. Lots of traveling, lots of working with fashion houses and stuff like that. And I've come back in, in actually in Wonder Woman. The first Wonder Woman was magic to do, I have to say, mm. really magical, because it was a fantasy, but within it there were all these marvellous characters and also it took place in real time, in a real period, 
but you weren't required to be really, really a Victorian Albert Museum period st- student. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. And then moving on from there and going into into Paddington, it was like going back to working with Peter Chalsom in in as much of the fun. You know, doing things that are fun, and people actors being encouraged to take you know to to improvise like Mike Lee and actors being encouraged to not be governed by what they look best in but to actually be governed by what will serve the character and the audience best and i think there's a freedom for the actors you can hear them in all of their wonka interviews they're all saying how much fun they had and how it was a it was a it was a team you know we were all a team i love that i love that feeling Let's talk about the early stages of the process then when you're deciding on the approach to a project, particularly Wonka, as we're talking about right now, particularly when it's a continuation of a well-known IP. You know, I mean, people Mm -hmm. are familiar with Gene Wilder movies and the Tim Burton movie. Oh, absolutely, Um, yeah. What is your creative starting point from that? Are you wiping over the slate clean and starting from scratch? Are you intentionally trying to differentiate from the other? What is the process? The process, well, you know, films are a money-making. Films are not something you do for art, you know, funny art. They're films, they're things that you do, you bring your art to them, but they've got mm. to make money, right? So you're being, from from Bond, from Paddington, from, I'm trying to think of all the things, you know, all of, lots of the films I've done, especially Bond, you're being entrusted with an iconic thing, you know? An iconic yeah. British thing in the case of Bond, but uh, you know all, all icons to America, a lot of the others, and so your job is not to try to be clever and sort of do something completely new because after however many years they've been going on, they are something, and you have to sort of get under the skin of what they are, and you must try to put your own interpretation in the period that you're doing them. So if the, if they were done in the 60s, you're not going to dress them like that, but you're going to try and find what the magic was in the character then or in the story then and bring it into the time you're in when you're doing it now. Mm-hmm. So that's all of that's important. But also you mustn't do anything which harms the product. And that's quite a sort of non-specific concept, <laughs> but... Outside, you have to understand, which I did learn on Bond, that the fans and the people who love the the icon and love the the, the product, they are where your longevity, the longevity of the product and the money it makes is set. You know, if, if people go off something and they all start talking about it and saying they don't like it and they don't, it does have a bad effect on the product, you know. So you have yeah. to have all those things in your mind. But then you have to follow your own nose and your own ideas and your own beliefs and try to produce something. It's it's a tight, you know, it's like a tightrope walk or something. But you have to do that. But it must be what you like. It can't be that you do something that you really don't like or that you you've got to do what what you want to do. Yeah. But if you're if you understand what you're doing, you're not. You're not doing the Mona Lisa, you know what I mean? Although right. I'm sure he was thinking of someone when he did that. <laughs> but uh, 
<laughs> you're doing you're doing a, a job, and the job you can take as much you can put as much of your input as it's possible to put into it. That's the thing. Yeah, and you're not working in a vacuum. You're not like an artist and you know, no. doing your own thing. It's a collaborative. No. Yeah. Yeah. You're part of a team, and the team, every single person, from the, the top, whoever puts the money into the project, to whoever is, you know, in my team, they're all serving the same master, or they should all be serving the same master, and the master is to make the film that everybody wants to watch. Yeah. So, because otherwise it's, it's not going to make any money, and they're not going to make another one, you know. It's really simple, but yeah. people can get a bit over overwhelmed um, by their own importance <laughs> and think, no, but they can. And because yeah. that's, you know, we're all encouraged to be like that, aren't we? So, and they can think that their part is more important than any other part and they have to do something that no one's ever seen before. But it's just not, that is just not the case. Almost your requirement as a costume designer is to do something that people want to look at. And when they're looking at it, they understand the story more. So if you mm. try to step outside of that and be your own designer, fashion designer or something, you're really not actually helping at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and I, I think of a, a, like a film like Wonka, it is about escaping into that world and it's, all, it's got to yeah. be cohesive, right? You've got, you've got to have that universe-building quality to it because we all mm. are really wanting that escape into that fantastical yeah. universe, right? Because... A lot of critics have been going on about how it isn't like uh, the 1971 Gene Wilder. But I mean, in every, every possible way, that, that I mean, whether you love that film or you don't, it doesn't matter. That film was made in 1970 with 1970s yeah. colour film, with 1970s technology, with 1970s ideas about how costumes are done and made. And... We would never, ever be making a film like that, even if we made the same story exactly. We wouldn't be doing it. That It would never look like that, you know, because yeah. that's not how things look anymore. That's not how things are anymore. And so people, apart from the fact that it's meant to be a prequel, I think it was never meant to be anything that abutted or joined together with that film. It couldn't. It would be a madness because yeah. it's... 50 years ago or something, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And if you want to watch the Gene Wilder version, you can go and watch you that. You can watch like, the Gene Wilder version. Until the cows come home. Right. So I suppose it was trying to, like when you do Bond, you know, after there's been a gap of 10 years or something, you're trying to imagine what the new audience, the people who are going to see it and their children, would like to watch. And you're trying to think, like with Paddington, of something which people love so much that they'll watch it every Christmas for the or every week, every week if they want. But you know, on and on. So you're making a classic, but you can't make it in the same way as the classic that you're thinking about was made. You've got to do a new classic. So that's yeah. your sort of, and it's got to have jokes and visual jokes and visual things that people, modern people, will look at and understand. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Wonka is absolutely a brilliant case of, of, you know, being given a product which exists already and is liked by all different kinds of people as books and as a film and as stage plays and just trying to come up with something new and magical for now, you know, for now and for the future, not for now and the past. And then you reference the things that are there. You know, you reference 
I'm referencing Gene Wilder, you know, um, absolutely referencing him in, in um, Timothy Chalamet's costume. Mm. But it would never be the same as the kind of costume that Gene Wilder wore. But it's just, there's a sort of subliminal, got to be a subliminal click from one to the other, you know? Yeah. It, it is funny because I, I often think that when book adaptations are made, and people say, well, it's not like the book. Well, of course it's not like the book. It's a movie. <laughs> it's not, not a book. You're comparing apples to oranges. It's the same you know? thing to say. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, yeah. a lot of people have latched onto the fact, this is me going about me now, but a lot of people have been latching onto the fact that I designed the Joker, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker, which is one oh, of yeah. my favorite wow. costumes that I've done. Yeah. And they said, oh, well, because they're always looking for something to compare things to. And they said, oh, well, Timothy Chalamet, of course, is wearing a costume that looks like the Joker because <laughs> she designed it. And it's like, no, he's not. No. <laughs> <It's> not. <laughs> he's not. I would never make that connection. wearing a frock coat. Yeah, but you know, the only reference there is there is that it's like a frock coat or something, you know. Yeah. Um, characters couldn't really be more different. And maybe there's a bit of playfulness in them that's the same. But uh, yeah, uh, people are always searching for something to say, aren't they? 100%. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, so, speaking of your in importance in a production, I saw an interview where Keegan Michael Key said that putting on his costume for the role of chief of police. Mm. Mm. was and you and the makeup was half the job of creating the character and he said it was a sort of outside in approach and yeah. so with these fantastical worlds where costume and design is such an important integral part of the process yeah. do you therefore feel maybe an extra responsibility versus some a, a product like a mike lee where it's you know a little more grounded hey, hey you wish you hadn't said that in a minute <laughs> oh no <laughs> i'm looking forward to this <laughs> no no because you are completely wrong <laughs> okay that's fine it's, not, no. it's a complete not you are completely wrong it's completely wrong right um no I don't feel an extra responsibility. In fact, it's almost the other way around. Hmm. If you're providing something for them to hide inside, which I know Keegan really well and I know what he said, yeah. It's sort of when I costumed Bond for the first time, Piers Brosnan used to tell everybody, well, you know, it's like putting on my suit of armor, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I get inside the suit. So that's just an ordinary three piece man's suit. But the magic that you're trying to bring to it is that they feel when they're putting it on like they're getting into the character. We call it, in Mike Lee, we call it getting into character, you know? Mm. They're, they're, it's just another layer. And I know Keegan said that, but Keegan is only being sweet. I mean, they've all been very sweet about me uh, in their interviews. But the thing is, he, he, is, he is internally himself a comedian looking at a character and then what i'm giving him is extra layers that's all but if mm. he was a very unfunny man <laughs> uh, he would look like an idiot wearing that costume <laughs> frankly he would because yeah. it would overwhelm him and he wouldn't be there anymore and the whole thing about keegan is he's got the biggest personality and you could go a long long way without overwhelming his personality and you know so he's being kind and nice and i hope he does feel like that but that's not what's going on with him he's uh he's big you know he's got a big uh big actor inside there <laughs> in a way 
you're providing a tool for him to get into character. Yes, right? that's so, I mean, absolutely yeah. right. Right. Yeah. With all of them, you're hoping to provide a tool. That's just perfect, yes. It could be on a Mike Lee film, you think, I was going to say this and then I thought, this is not safe, but I'm going to say, you think when you watch a Mike Lee film, which is set probably in the time, well, it used to be when we were making them, set in the time that you're watching it in, that somebody may think that they're just wearing any old clothes. The, the amount of work that goes into choosing those simple old awful cardigans and that horrible <laughs> brine nylon dress or, you know, those terrible jeans uh, that are hanging down between your legs, the amount of work that goes into those very, very simple costumes is almost more, and I'm saying it, than goes into doing a Victorian costume where really? everything is prescribed in books. Well, it is really because the actor has even less layers. They're just there inside those clothes, right? But what you're trying to do is when you look at them, you're trying to make a silhouette which suits the character. And you're only doing it with a pair of trousers, a T-shirt, a shirt, and a cardigan. When you give somebody a frock coat and stockings and whatever it is you give all of them, a wig, <laughs> periwig. They've yeah. got a huge, you know, you're, it's a huge um, amount of stuff you're giving them. But also, it's something that everyone looks at it and thinks, oh yeah, that's what they wore then. Right? Mm. But if you give the Mike Lee costume, and I, I could go through that, that's a whole lecture, but the Mike Lee costume, people look and they just see a regular person. But hopefully they see the regular person that you and the actor and the director are trying to show them rather than the person who arrived in the morning for their rehearsals wearing a completely different look and being a completely different person. It's wow. really delicate, you know, the the kind of costumes that you, you, you create for those modern... There should be a different category of, of, um, of costume discussion about those sort of costumes. Because they are really clever, you know. They are really um, subtle and and uh, but also give weight, you know, give a lot of weight for the subtle things that they are. If it's obvious, you've sort of not done your job. It's meant to just work, right? You, you don't question it that the character is it just looks right in any given situation. Is that particularly with the more grounded? That's the truth. Or or if you're egotistical at all, which I am, you you think they look more right. right. <laughs> they look just that tiny bit more right. Yeah. And more instantly accessible as who they are, you know? Right. When they come on screen, instead of waiting and, you know, instead of waiting for the first lines, if you like, how someone enters, that's the director's job. And you, that's a huge amount of, of, of work that the director does in how you see that person for the first time. But costume-wise, how you see that silhouette or those collection of garments, put it like that, mm. that gives 10%, let's say, at, the, at its even l the lowest part of it, 10% of information to the eye of the watcher. Yeah. And then the next line comes, the place they're in, that gives another 10%. And then the line that they speak or that they don't speak, you know, what they what they do, that gives them 50%. And so you're all building up, you know, how they're lit, everything. It's all building up who they are, every actor, every scene. If it's done to the best of it can be done. Fascinating. Um, yeah, it's all a big manipulation, really, isn't it? <laughs>
Yes, manipulation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Do I sound mad? I think I. I am no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fascinating. But in Wonka, every character, I mean, was drawn before they they would their clothes are made. Nearly all, not nearly all, ninety percent of the clothing worn by the principal actors in Wonka was made by us, chosen by us, and people like Mrs. Scrubbit, obviously are transformed in the same way that Keegan-Michael Key is transformed. Because mm. if you've seen her in her interviews with her blonde hair, you know, with her really yeah. bl blonde bob now she's got, or not even bob, uh, cut-off hair, she's wearing, you know, from the inside out, she's wearing things which build up into the character of Mrs. Scrubbit. And then she goes for it 100% yeah. and adds in much more than she would if she was just standing there in her ordinary body shape because she's wearing padding right through. So do you know what I mean? You're, yeah. They're all jumping in and everyone's giving an extra bit is what I'm trying to say. And you're invited to give as little or as much as you can or as the director wants or the actor wants. So that's it. <laughs> that's what you yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> no, it makes perfect sense. And, and I can imagine from yeah. an actor perspective that that is just adding, like you say, those multiples of percentages just to add a little bit of something yeah, that's right yeah that's right yeah i mean so many actors uh, really really start with their feet you know with their shoes mm. they so it's so important that you feel like your feet are right isn't it if you think about your own life yeah. and you're going along or maybe that yeah they feel really they're not right that your feet are pinched or i've been asked for shoes that are too small you know um <laughs> all sorts of things like that they love actors love them you know, too tight. It's not a matter of making something that just fits perfectly. It might be a matter of giving them a cardigan that's absolutely too tight, but it makes them feel fat and lumpy, you know, yeah. <laughs> because their clothes are too tight. Well, you know, anything like that, really. All of those little things, they're just wonderful little help, helps, helps, yeah. Well, I've got to let you go shortly, but I do have two more questions, if, if that's okay. Yes. Um, no, I okay, don't let's mind. try and squeeze it in. Um, yeah. I ask this question of everyone, and um, it gets some interesting results. <laughs> what do you <laughs> wish others in production knew about what you do that would help you do your job a little bit easier, maybe? Or well, I'm spoiled, really, because I've worked with so many good people. But mm. I think that I wish that, I don't know, I think I wish that we all collaborated more. We do collaborate, but I just mm. wish that in every department people realised and, and were made to realise meaning my department as well, that the more you talk to the other departments, the more questions you ask of each other, the more rounded and solid the whole thing gets. You know, mm. the more you go to the publicity department and then suddenly they'll say, well, it would be great if we if we could use that costume that you've done this, this, this. And you say, but you can use it or we can make you another one. You know, it's, <laughs> Just always able, you can always help each other to get things better um, if you talk to each other. That's that's basically my life, my life thing anyway, you know. Yeah, no, I love that. And I've heard that in, a, yeah. in one form or another throughout, throughout the period of time, yeah. And then finally, to wrap things up, what would your advice yeah. be to those looking to get into costume design? Well, I would say that the problem is, because now we are talking to lots of people who are trying... The problem is that people are looking down the wrong way down the tunnel. You don't 
suddenly leave college. Well, if you're lucky, perhaps you do. But you do leave college sometimes and go and be a fashion designer because they're asking you to come with a, a new and um, unusual, maybe, idea and look of things. But with a costume designer, you should study history properly. You know, you should understand history mm. to some extent. And I don't mean the history of clothes. I mean the history of what happens in the world. And you should be interested in people, not just in your own self as who's going to become a great costume designer, because that's the opposite way to look at being a costume designer, I think, from what should be. And I think you should try and find out all the different jobs in the costume department or other departments that you could do, because everyone who comes in as a boot cleaner or a, a knickers washer or whatever it is, right, <laughs> they always end up being much more integrated in everything than the ones who come from straight from art school. So go to art school, but then be willing to go down low and work your way up, not over hundreds of years, but just so you know what everyone does and how you can have a maximum effect yourself when you reach the top. <laughs> when you reach the position of being the designer, you actually know what does a hat maker do what does a cutter do? Who, what is the tailor? You know, all these things aren't taught properly. And so the people who jump into costume design don't have the ability to manipulate the whole big scene that they can inherit, you know, in the best way, I think. But then also, I think it does give you a good thing if you've had experience of working with actors. And the only way you can get that is to come and work on a film in a lower, you know, as a dresser or as a, a something like that, an a, an AD, a T, a T person, you know, anything really. But as long as you get to feel that actors are other work people like yourself, and that you're going to work with them, not tell them what it is you think they should be doing or wearing, you know, because it doesn't work like that, really. Not in the best of world, anyway. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Yeah. fascinating well that's that's fantastic advice this has been an absolute thrill talking to you today thank you thank you very very much my pleasure thank you thank you so much and have a happy christmas you too you bye too. bye thank you so much for listening to the soundstage insider podcast my name is jamie muffet thank you of course to lindy hemming and to you for listening Follow us on social media, and I'll see you next time. This has been an RPS audio production.